basically we're kicking off a new sermon series uh, called Seeing Jesus. And we're looking at the resurrection today because it's Easter Sunday, but for the next six, seven weeks, we're going to be looking uh, closely at Jesus Christ. Uh, But today, you know, the resurrection is the crucial event in all of human history. The resurrection uh, is proof that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. And uh, Paul says that if the resurrection is untrue, then Christians are the most miserable of all people. Because everything hinges on the resurrection. It's not just an event that happened 2,000 years ago. Folks, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the event that unleashes the power of God in your life every day. Every day. That's how important it is. And so today we're going to look at, at how the empty tomb changed the life of Mary Magdalene. And we're going to see the difference that the resurrection can make in your life as well. So our text is John chapter 20, and we're going to look at verse 1. We get some important details to start out with. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary of Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So the first detail says that it is early. And the Greek word there means the time of day from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So very early in the morning, while it's still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Now, Mary Magdalene is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, This Mary is a woman, actually she's a prostitute, that Jesus cast seven demons out of. And after that, she became one of his most devoted followers. So Mary Magdalene got up very early, between 3 and 6 a.m. She actually led a group of women uh, to the tomb to apply spices to Jesus' body. Uh, That was a common burial practice in the day. It was a way to honor a deceased loved one. And so they couldn't do this for Jesus when they buried him on, on Friday because the Sabbath was coming. And so they had to wait, and the first available opportunity for them was very early on Sunday morning uh, while it's still dark. And so they rushed to the tomb as soon as they could to do this act of service uh, for the deceased Christ. Second detail was that it's early on the first day of the week. Uh, It's Sunday. Uh, The day of worship in the Old Testament was Saturday. It was the Sabbath. But believers started worshiping on Sunday because that's the day that the resurrection occurred. And Paul actually tells us in Romans that it doesn't matter what day of the week you worship. Uh, We're not under the Sabbath law anymore. We're not under those rules anymore. So it's okay to worship whatever day you want to worship. So we had a service Friday night. We have a service every Saturday night. And uh, we also have one on, on Sunday morning. So you just pick a day. Believers in Nepal worship on Saturday. Because Saturday's the day in their culture that everybody has off. So uh, that's when they worship. But typically, believers worship on Sunday because that's the day of the resurrection. Third detail for you to picture in your mind. John says that the stone was removed. And removed literally means tossed aside. You know, a lot of us have this picture in our mind that the stone was rolled away. Uh, probably because it says that the stone was rolled in place when Christ was buried in the tomb. But John uses a specific word here that indicates that the stone wasn't just rolled away. It it was flung aside, tossed aside. It's knocked out of its track. And the, the stone was rolled in place by men to seal the grave. But the grave was flung open by God at the resurrection. Now, 
the stone was not thrown aside in order to let Jesus Christ out. Uh, you know, in his resurrected body, Jesus just, just passed through, evaporated through uh, the clothes that enshrouded him in the tomb. He just rose right through them. Later on, we see that in his resurrected body, Jesus had the power to go through doors, to, to, to enter a room where the doors and windows were all locked. And so the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was flung aside to let the disciples in, to let you and me in, to see that the resurrection had happened. The tomb's empty. Christ is alive. Now, we celebrate the resurrection, and there's a sense of joy and hope, but for Mary Magdalene, on that dark, early Sunday morning, uh, there was a different response than joy. In John 22, Mary goes to the tomb, and she sees that it's empty, and then she runs back to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's, that's John, the writer of the gospel. That's how John refers to himself. So Mary ran to them. She said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Mary's first response to the resurrection wasn't joy and hope. She thought it was tragic. She thought somebody had broken into the tomb and stolen Jesus' body. So her, her response was disbelief, confusion, and fear disbelief, confusion, and fear. And maybe the first time you hear the truth of the resurrection, maybe the first time you try to apply resurrection power in your life, it, it, it may not be a response of hope and joy for you. It might be a response of, of, of disbelief, of doubt. You know, is, is this power really going to work in my life? It may be confusion. How is this going to work in my life? How is this going to fit in? It may even be fear. Is this going to change my life so much that, that I don't even know what life looked like anymore? Now, Mary says, they've taken the Lord away. You know, when it comes to the resurrection, the, the hope is right in front of us, but instead of seeing a resurrection, we often see an empty tomb. And there's a big difference. So today, I want you to see the resurrection in your life in a real way. I want you to see the resurrection as a powerful factor in your marriage, in your family, in your job, in your health, in your struggles. I want you to see the resurrected Jesus when you're worried, when you're afraid, when you're depressed. So how do we truly see the resurrection? Well, Mary and these other disciples, they teach us how through their experience. I'm going to pause for just a moment and take a drink. Talk among yourselves. <laughs> I've been fighting a cold all week, and I'm really trying to preach all six of these services. As a pastor, to not get to preach Easter weekend is like being benched during the World Series. <laughs> so I apologize that I'm playing injured today, but by God's grace, I'm playing. Okay? So stick with me. <clears throat> so Mary and the other disciples, they're going to show us uh, how uh, this experience of Christ uh, makes a difference. John 20, verses 3 through 9, that John gives us a striking eyewitness account. It's written 50 years after these events happened, but man, it reads like it just happened. It says, Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And I just think it's interesting that 50 years later, John still wants us to know that he beat Peter to the tomb, okay? 
I mean, that just gives you a little insight into these guys' character and the relationship that they had. So he, John, bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. He didn't go in the tomb. He just looked in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, I mean, there he says it again, also went inside. He saw and he believed. Circle that phrase. He saw and he believed. If you want to see the resurrected Christ, there are some things you need. First thing you need is you need evidence for our mind. One of the things that makes the account of the resurrection different than other historical events is the amount of evidence in regards to the resurrection. We have eyewitness evidence of what happened. And the evidence of the resurrection hinges on what the eyewitnesses saw. Now in verse 5 where John bent over and looked in, that word means to glance or to look quickly at something. You just take it all in at once. In verse 6, Simon Peter went in and saw the strips of linen. And that word for saw is the word where we get our word theorize from. And when he saw, he analyzed the situation. He starts coming up with his theory of what happened here. Then the final word is used in verse 8. The other disciple, John, who'd reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. And that word for saw means to perceive, to understand, to intelligently comprehend the truth. So three different ways of seeing a truth that God wants in your life. Three different levels of examining the resurrection. I can glance at it as I go by. I can gaze at it and try and come up with my own theory about what happened. Or I can perceive it, understand it. I can get it. Now, John sees the grave clothes lying there, undisturbed, like someone has just poofed out of them. And it clicks in his mind. Jesus Christ has been resurrected from the dead, just like he said he would. He he gets it. He perceives with intelligent comprehension. Now, what was it that he saw and believed? I mean, what made him believe? Was it the stone that was flung aside? No. Was it an angel? No. He saw the grave clothes lying there intact, and he believed. There's something about the arrangement of the grave clothes. They're lying there like Jesus had just evaporated out of them. They're folded neatly. They're not unwrapped and tossed about. You know, Remember, these are strips of linen that had been wrapped around and around and around the body. So if Jesus had just resuscitated instead of resurrected, he might have had to kind of claw his way out of them and they would have been you know in shreds and disarray somebody comes in to steal the body they would have had to unwrap them that's not what John sees John sees grave clothes that somebody has just (laughs) come out of and they're lying there intact and he goes that's a resurrection and he believes God wants us to see the resurrection to get it believe it to comprehend it Now, there's strong evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's four types. First is just the historical record. Any honest historian who looks at the historical record would would say that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are well-attested historical events. 
I mean, folks, people have been trying to discredit the resurrection for centuries. For centuries they've been trying to discredit it. And yet, here we are celebrating it. Why? Brooke Foss Westcott, scholar, he says, There is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Christ. There's evidence for it. Another type of evidence is, is the change in the life of the disciples. The disciples were defeated, depressed, discouraged. They're hiding in fear of the Jews and the Romans. And then all of a sudden, they come out of hiding and they're preaching in the street, they're preaching in the temple, they're not afraid of being arrested, they're not afraid of being martyred. Why? Why that change? Because they saw the resurrected Christ. They knew they can't do anything to us that a resurrection won't fix. So the, their change is proof of the resurrection of Christ. Third proof is just the silence of Jesus' enemies. I mean, if you're one of Jesus' enemies, if you're the Jewish Pharisees or the Romans, and you've got the disciples going around saying Jesus is alive, what are you going to do? Well, all you've got to do is produce a dead body, and it ruins the whole thing. But they couldn't do it. They couldn't find the body because the body wasn't there. They, they tried to make sure the body stayed in the tomb. They sealed it. They put Roman guards around it. But they sealed the tomb to keep somebody from getting in. They didn't seal it from somebody getting out. And Jesus Christ just burst out of the tomb, and so there was no body there. The fourth evidence for the resurrection, and, and this is the strongest one in my mind, is you. You. The fact that you are here today, the fact that, that you have trusted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and it's made a difference in your life. I could bring person after person up here and they could tell story after story of the life change that has happened in their life because they believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Change in your marriage, in your health, in your job, in your finances. The most powerful evidence for the resurrection is you. So we've got evidence for our mind. But number two, we also need answers for our heart. Answers for our heart. John may have been the first to believe, but Mary was the first person to see the resurrected Lord. And the incredible thing is Mary doesn't recognize Jesus at first. The disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. Now, evidently, Mary doesn't recognize them as angels because her reaction doesn't indicate that. And she hasn't come to the same conclusion that John has. Evidently, the evidence was not enough to convince her. She, she still sees an empty tomb instead of a resurrection. And then verse 14, she turns around and she sees Jesus standing there. But she doesn't realize that he's Jesus. Why didn't she recognize him? First of all, it's because of her tears. The Bible says that she was weeping. And it's not just some little tear making its way down her cheek. I mean, this woman is wailing. She is bawling her eyes out. And her tears are blocking her vision so she can't see Jesus. The second reason was her focus. She couldn't see Jesus because she's focused on the empty tomb. She's peering into the empty tomb trying to find the resurrected Lord. He's standing right there uh, behind her. 
So the empty tomb is a great thing, but it's the resurrected Lord that we really worship. We don't worship a place. We don't worship a tomb. We don't worship an event. We worship a living, resurrected Christ. And when we start to focus on some tradition, some place, some ritual, some event, we lose focus of the living Lord. And so because of her tears, because of her focus, Mary didn't recognize him at first. And that can happen to us too. There can be times in life when the resurrected Lord is right there, but we can't see him. Jesus asked her a couple of questions that that help her recognize him. First, he asked her, why are you crying? And I think it's interesting that he doesn't just say, hey, Mary, I'm Jesus. Instead, he first asked, why are you crying? He's concerned about her hurt. Her heart's just seen this incredible tragedy played out before her. She's seen Jesus get arrested, seen him be beaten, seen him crucified, seen his dead body taken down and buried, and now she's come to the tomb and the body has been stolen. She, she's, she's devastated by this, and she's hurt, and she's crying. And that's a reminder of what some of you may be facing today. Maybe your dreams are at a dead end like Mary's were. Maybe life has taken a U-turn from the direction you thought things were headed. Maybe the support that you depend upon has crumbled beneath your feet. You, You know exactly what Mary was feeling. And Mary reminds us of what we need when we hurt so deeply. We need to realize that Jesus Christ cares about our hurt. You know, Mary's hurt was keeping her from seeing the resurrected Christ. Is your hurt keeping you? From seeing the resurrected Christ. Martin Luther fathered the Protestant Reformation back in the 1600s, and Luther was a spiritual giant, but he struggled with the issues of life just like all of us. And one time he faced a, a serious season of uh, difficult opposition, even persecution, and he fell into a deep depression. And on the third day of his depression, his wife Catherine came downstairs dressed in mourning clothes, dressed in all black. And Luther looks at her and says, who's dead? And Catherine says, God's dead. Luther says, God can't die. And Catherine says, well, the way you've been acting around here the last few days, I just assumed God was dead. Kind of in that way that a wife can do, you know. Luther was so encouraged by her rebuke that he carved the word vivid into the top of his desk. Vivit's the Latin word for he lives. He realized that that when he got discouraged, he just needed to remind himself that Christ is alive. And sometimes you and I can act like Jesus isn't alive. But what's greater, our hurt or the resurrection? For Mary, it's the biggest hurt she'd ever faced. And in her hurt, Jesus came to her and said, why are you crying? And he asked you that question too. Because the resurrected Christ cares about your hurt. And the resurrection is the answer for every hurt you have. Then he asked her a second question. He says, whom are you looking for? Whom are you looking for? Jesus had a way of asking great questions. When at the feeding of the 5,000, he said, asked, how many loaves do you have? And he asked that because he wanted the disciples to realize how little they had and how much they depended on him. 
And one time he asked them, uh, who do people say that I am? They had a variety of answers. And then he said, who do you say that I am? Great question. You know, sometimes instead of us asking God questions, we just need to stop and say, God, you got any questions for me? And God's asking you those questions today. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Why are you crying? Whom are you seeking? As Mary considered those questions, it, it, it started to turn the situation around. But there's a third thing we need, and that is we need a relationship for our soul. I've got to have a relationship with the resurrected Christ if I'm going to see the resurrection. And there are two incredible uh, recognitions that happen in this setting. Uh, one is when Mary is able to say to Jesus, I recognize you, Lord. And then she also understands, you recognize me, Lord. There's a dual recognition that's going on. Verse 15, thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Then Jesus said to her, Mary. He recognized who she was. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She recognized him. And she's in the garden looking for Jesus' body, turns around, starts talking to someone. She thinks it's the gardener. She mistakes him for the gardener. And the question you need to answer is, who do you mistake Jesus for? I mean, we kind of laugh at Mary and think, shouldn't she just see him? He's right there. But who do we mistake Jesus for? Either because of our tears or because of our lack of focus. I mean, have there been times in your life when you've mistaken Jesus for luck? Oh, man, I'm lucky that car missed me. I'm lucky I got this job. I'm how lucky I am to have my wife and kids. I mean, I am a lucky man. It's not luck. It's the power of the resurrected Christ impacting your life. You know, we can mistake him for our own intellectual prowess. I'm just so smart, man. I got this stuff figured out. Or for our own strength and ability. Oh, you know, I'm good at this. I, I can make this work. No, it's the power of the resurrected Christ impacting your life. Don't mistake Jesus for something else. Mary mistook him for the gardener. Jesus wouldn't let that stand. And so it moves to, I recognize you, Lord. You recognize me, Lord. And, and I love the way that Jesus recognized her. One word, one name, Mary. I, I just think that, that, so cool. The first word out of the resurrected Lord's mouth is not some theological treatise. It's the name of a devoted follower. It's the same name that Mary heard when Jesus cast the demons out of her. It's the same name that Mary heard when Jesus called her out of a life of sin. It's the same name that Mary had heard as Jesus had taught her and taught the other disciples. That's why she calls him teacher. But this time her name helped her to recognize that Jesus Christ is alive. Because the resurrection moves from being an historical event to being a personal, relational event when we hear Jesus Christ speak our name and we recognize who he is. Have you heard Christ speak your name? Have you recognized who he is? Because he wants to be personally involved in what you're facing 
And because of that, you can have a relationship with him. The resurrection changes our relationships, our relationship with Christ, our relationship with God, our relationships with one another. Now, a little side note here, but I think it's important that the first witnesses of the resurrection were believing women. And every once in a while I'll hear, oh, the Bible's a chauvinistic book. Oh, Christianity oppresses women. But that's not the truth. Jesus Christ came into a world where women were treated like property or worse. And throughout his ministry, Jesus Christ honored women. He elevated women. And if the Bible were just an account by some chauvinistic man, he would have had Peter or John or one of the other disciples uh, see Christ first. That's not what happens. The Bible clearly teaches that Mary was the first to see Christ. And then Jesus tells Mary, he says, go tell my brothers that I'm returning to my father and your father and my God and your God. And this is the first time that Jesus calls the disciples brothers because the relationship has been changed because of the resurrection. Jesus Christ is the firstborn, the first fruits of the resurrection. But he promises that, he offers it to us. We are his brothers, we are his sisters. We're in the family of God. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ because of the resurrection. It changes the relationship. We're in the same family. And then Mary runs to the disciples and she tells them the news. Verse 18, best thing you can say in any moment in your life. She says, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. And that's what I want for you this Easter. That's what I want for you in this series that we're going to be doing. I want you to be able to say, I have seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord's direction for my family. I've seen the Lord's comfort in this hurt. I've seen the Lord's will in this decision. I've seen the Lord's presence in this place. I've seen the power of the resurrected Lord released in my life. I have seen the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to take a few minutes not, not just to glance at you as we go our way. Not just to gaze at you and come up with our own theory of what might happen. But God, we want to get it. We want to see with our hearts, minds, and souls that Jesus Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And because of the resurrection, it changes everything. Mary faced unbelief, confusion, and fear at the empty tomb. She didn't understand it. And you may be in a situation of unbelief, confusion, and fear in your life. And I want to encourage you to look past your tears and focus, not on your hurt, not on the problem. Focus on the risen Christ. Take your eyes off the fear of the future and turn them to see the resurrected Christ. Take your eyes off the worry that you're facing and turn them to see the resurrected Christ. Take your eyes off the defeat in your life, the sin, the temptation, the struggle. Turn them to see the resurrected Christ. There's not a hurt, a situation, a circumstance that you face that the resurrected Christ won't be there for you. Lord, Lord help us to hear you calling out our name. And help us to recognize who you are. And I invite you in this moment just to pray in the quietness of your, of your own heart and mind. Just say, Father, I believe in Jesus Christ, your Son, my Savior. 
And I believe he died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I believe he rose from the grave to offer me a new, eternal, abundant life in him. And today I accept forgiveness for my sins and I accept the new life that Jesus offers me. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I want you to take out that communication card that we talked about at the beginning of the service. At Easter, I like to poll our congregation. I like to poll the folks from the community who come just to see where you're at in your spiritual journey. And on the back of that communication card, uh, you'll see the letters A, B, C, D in bold. And everybody in here falls into one of those four categories, A, B, C, or D. So let me explain them to you so you can put a check mark next to the appropriate category for you. A means I have already trusted Jesus Christ to save me. It means I made a decision to trust Christ before today. And so at some time in the past, you believed in the resurrection, you've trusted in Jesus Christ, just go ahead and check A, I've already uh, trusted Christ. B means I am beginning to trust Christ today for the first time. And these are the ones we've been praying for. We've been praying that as people come to our service, that today it will click. Maybe you've been considering the claims of Christ for a time, but today in this service, you're seeing the resurrected Lord for the first time. And if that's you, check B. C means I am considering the claims of Christ. I'm interested. I'm interested in trusting Christ, but I need more time to think about it. Listen, I recognize this is an important decision. This is the single most important decision you will ever make in your life. And so I understand that you may need time uh, to, to consider it. And so I'd invite you, come back next week. Come back for this series. Uh, see what more we have to say about Christ and who he is. You know, I want you to have full opportunity to think through this decision. But I would caution you not to delay too long. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And none of us are guaranteed a tomorrow. And so you don't want to put it off too long. And I don't say that to pressure you. I say it to protect you. Because you don't want to get to the end of your life and not have trusted in Jesus Christ. Cost is too high. But if you're considering it, then check C. Let us know that. And then D means, I don't think I'll ever believe in Christ. And it may be that after all I've said, after all we've sung, that you're saying, you know, I don't think I'll ever believe in Christ. And I just encourage you just to give us that honest response. And I'd love to have that response for you because I'd like to pray for you. I mean, there was a point in my life when I would have checked D. There's a point in a lot of the people here at Rockbrook when, when we would have checked D and said, I don't think I'll ever believe in Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ loved us to the point of making a decision for Christ. And we'd love to pray for you. So let us know.